Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. In this week's episode, a major Outlook vulnerability is currently being exploited. I'll have a Patch Tuesday news roundup and another business is still relying on floppy disks for updating their software. If you want to find out which company that is and what they're doing, stay tuned for this episode for that and all of the great news stories and community scripts, tricks, and tips that I'll cover on this week's episode. And this episode is brought to you by my sponsors, Netrix Policy Pack, where you use Group Policy, Policy Pack Cloud, or MDN to remove local admin rights, manage and lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And also brought to you by ControlUp, end-to-end digital experience management for the work-from-anywhere era. ControlUp, happy users, happy IT. And of course, also brought to you by Numescent, the inventors of the first and only cloud-native container management platform for Windows desktops. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. Kicking it off with the Patch Tuesday news roundup, uh, this month's Windows updates addressed 83 vulnerabilities. BleepyComputer.com reports nine of the vulnerabilities have been classified as critical for allowing remote code execution, denial of service, or elevation of privilege attacks. The total roundup of the vulnerabilities is that there's 21 elevation of privilege vulnerabilities, two security feature bypass vulnerabilities, 27 remote code execution vulnerabilities, 15 information disclosure vulnerabilities, four denial of service vulnerabilities, 10 spoofing vulnerabilities, and one edge chromium vulnerability. Now there is one edge chromium vulnerability. Uh, however, the total number, the 83 vulnerabilities does not include all edge related vulnerabilities as those are typically listed separately. Of these vulnerabilities, the one getting the most attention is CVE-2023-23397, which is a Microsoft Outlook elevation of privilege vulnerability. And Microsoft has addressed this in this month's patches and it's a Microsoft Outlook bug that allows specially crafted emails to force a target's device to connect to a remote URL and transmit the Windows account's net NTLM v2 hash. External attackers could send specially crafted emails that will cause a connection from the victim to an external UNC location of an attacker's control. This will then leak the NTLM v2 hash of the victim to the attacker who can then relay this to another service and authenticate as the victim. Microsoft warns that this flaw will be triggered before it is read in the preview pane as the vulnerability triggers automatically when it is retrieved and processed by the email server. So this is one that doesn't even really require a user to make a mistake. This, as such, this is a very serious vulnerability and you should patch right away as there has been reports of it being exploited. And Microsoft have also released a script, a PowerShell script, that checks exchange messaging items like mail, calendar, and tasks to see whether a property is populated with a UNC path. If required, admins can use this script to clean up the property for items that are malicious or even delete the items permanently. This script was brand new as I scripted this episode of the podcast, but it appears there are two options when running the script. One is an audit, so you could just simply check to see if there are instances of UNC paths. And the other is a cleanup mode. So you could first audit and then run the cleanup once you're comfortable with maybe, you know, are these legitimate? Are they not legitimate? 
If they're not legitimate, then just run the cleanup against everything. Another pretty serious vulnerability is CV-2023-24880, which is a Windows Smart Screen Security Feature Bypass vulnerability. And Microsoft has fixed this actively exploited zero-day vulnerability that can be used to create executables that bypass the Windows mark of the web security warning. An attacker could craft a malicious file that would evade the mark of the web defenses, resulting in a limited loss of integrity and availability of security features such as Protective View in Microsoft Office, which relies on MOTW tagging. So another pretty serious one as you'd lose that protective view that you think is providing security. So I usually say, you know, patch, patch, patch. Uh, with this one, yes, yeah, certainly patch. And because that Outlook one is particularly troublesome, it may behoove you to actually run an audit using that script in your environment to see if any email got through that could potentially be malicious uh, using this vulnerability. There were several new features announced for Microsoft Intune over the last couple of weeks. And a big one is that you can now deploy Win32 apps with available intent to device groups. So that's one that's been needed for quite some time, uh, but it's good it's now available. Um, you know, targeting device groups is something that's still pretty common in the enterprise, particularly for those traditionally installed, locally installed applications rather. A smaller one, but there's now a new URL for Microsoft Intune Admin Center. They're moving away from endpoint.microsoft.com to intune.microsoft.com. They recommend taking some actions to avoid issues with Intune access and automated scripts because of this change. They suggest update your login or automation to point to intune.microsoft.com, update your firewalls as needed to allow access to the new URL, Add the new URL to your favorites and bookmarks and notify your help desk and update IT admins documentation. And on the enrollment side, the enrollment status page now supports WinGet application installs during Windows Autopilot. This update enables better support for the new Microsoft Store experience. There is more announced as well. And if you'd like to check them all out for yourself, you could do so by going to 5bytespodcast.com and just clicking on the link for this episode, which is episode 273. So in another Intune story that actually I didn't see it listed in the recent updates on the update page when I was recording this episode, but it is Intune related. Uh, Microsoft have also updated enrollment, so any Windows servers enrolled in Intune will be identified as Windows servers. This allows customers to view and filter against Windows servers in reporting, as well as create groups of devices that contain only Windows servers or exclusively Windows clients for targeting. If you have Windows server devices configured in your tenant, expect the OS platform to update to Windows server in your reporting views. And if you have any custom scripts that refer specifically to the Windows platform, they will not include the new Windows server value for the device type and will need to be updated. And if you're using Azure AD dynamic device groups with specified rules that reference Windows, this will now exclude those Windows servers. So look to update the dynamic group rules to include Windows server specifically where required. Now, for example, if you have rules that use the equals or not equals operator, then you must explicitly update the rule to reference Windows server. If you have rules that use the contains or like operators, then the rule won't be impacted. 
This is interesting because in the grand scheme of things, when it comes to Azure AD, Windows servers haven't had priority with their desktop counterparts. So I wonder if this is going to start to bridge that gap a little bit and maybe Azure AD join will be coming to some Windows servers in the future. Possibly. I'm just speculating. It doesn't say anything about it here, but maybe this is a slight move in that direction and embracing these different uh, cloud technologies that are currently used on desktops for the server as well. There has been a slowness issue on Windows 11 22H2 since it has launched uh, that's been noticed when copying large files. This one that was unlikely to be noticed by the enterprise as there hasn't been very wide adoption of the OS yet, uh, but the slowness was confirmed by Microsoft's Ned Pyle on Twitter. Uh, if you do use the OS, you'll want to install the optional update KB5022913 for your platform from the Microsoft Update Catalog. So because this is optional, this is one you may have to go out to the catalog to get and install it for yourself. And obviously, like I said, Windows 11 22H2 or Windows 11 in general, not very widely used in the enterprise, but this may be affecting you if you're personally using Windows 11 to do some of your own work. Jan Baker had a blog post on Microsoft's MFA Lite, which essentially integrates MFA prompts directly into the Outlook app and allows MFA enrollment through Outlook 2. And that way you don't have to install a separate MFA app. And Microsoft seemed to have launched this into preview. And there's a learn.microsoft.com landing page for this. So it'll be interesting. I guess it makes it easier for those who obviously need Outlook for maybe their work email or even maybe for their personal email uh, to more easily or in a streamlined way use MFA by not having to install a separate app. So I guess it makes sense and it's more efficient. So that's a good thing. BleepyComputer.com are reporting on findings of analysts at a company called Flashpoint who found Bitwarden's credentials autofill feature contains a risky behavior that could allow malicious iframes embedded in trusted websites to steal people's credentials and send them to an attacker. Luckily, the autofill feature is disabled on Bitwarden by default and the conditions to exploit it aren't abundant, but even still Flashpoint says there are still websites that meet the requirements where motivated threat actors can attempt to exploit these flaws. The researchers discovered if you put an iframe form on a site, Bitwarden could autofill into that form if the feature is enabled. Worse still, Bitwarden will also autofill credentials on subdomains of the base domain matching a login. This means an attacker hosting a phishing page under a subdomain that matches a stored login for a given base domain would capture the credentials upon the victim visiting the page if the autofill has been enabled. The researchers said due to the changed nature of the web and iframe use, the number of risky cases was very low, significantly decreasing the risk with this vulnerability. For their part, Bitwarden actually had a security advisory around this back in 2018 and have responded to the research pointing out that the feature is disabled by default, but they will work on mitigating how autofill treats subdomains. And Bitwarden promised to block autofill on the reported hosting environment in a future update, but do not plan on changing the iframe functionality as it's still relevant for uh, several use cases and several sites. Graham Cluley recently blogged about a Jamf report on malware being delivered to Macs via pirated copies of Final Cut Pro. 
When you try to use the software, you get an error about the software being damaged, at which point the Mac is already covertly mining cryptocurrency on behalf of cyber criminals, gobbling up your CPU cycles and giving your computer's fan a good workout in the process. According to Jamf, the person responsible for the poisoned Final Cut Pro torrents has uploaded numerous other malicious payloads that mine cryptocurrency going back to 2019. So there are several applications out there uh, that are obviously really crypto mining applications being masked as legitimate software via torrent sites. So, I mean, just like in Windows, there are some security vulnerabilities and hacks for those Mac OS machines too. So just be wary. Microsoft's Bing search engine has passed the 100 million daily active users milestone just weeks after the software maker launched its AI-powered Bing chat feature. Google has over 1 billion daily active users, but 100 million so quickly is impressive. Microsoft has not stated what the Bing daily active user counts were before its Bing chat edition, but I mean, you can assume it was not 100 million. <laughs> Bing was kind of dying in death. At least that's my opinion and my experience and just, you know, all the memes that we see online about Bing. The Verge suggests the AI is not the only reason for increased daily active users, as the Edge browser has been more in customers' faces, pushing them to the service too. And stay tuned because I'll have more just around general open AI and what Google and Microsoft have been doing this week. Citrix posted an article about their new strategy and product innovations that included information on some aspects that I covered on previous episodes of the podcast, like the Citrix Universal License that could be applied for both cloud and on-prem. And the article suggests Citrix will be taking a hybrid approach going forward, stating they are going to double down on not just improving their on-premises software stack, but also on their customers' requests for enhancements, prioritizing what customers need above all else. In addition to the universal license, Citrix announced its intention to develop a unified codebase for both Storefront and Workspace to enable feature parity, enabling Storefront to provide solutions like secure private access for on-prem deployments or app protection to Storefront web. With these updates, you'll be able to provide your users with seamless access to SaaS and web apps alongside virtual apps and desktops, all presented with a single login on Storefront. So making Storefront much more of a I guess, workspaces type of on-premises offering. The Web Studio, which was a long time coming for Citrix Cloud customers, will also be coming to on-prem customers with REST APIs of Web Studio for on-prem customers too. The article mentions Autoscale feature for Citrix virtual apps and desktop customers. And Autoscale offers a broad range of capabilities from basic schedule and load-based scaling to dynamic timeouts during different times of the day, and even tag-based auto-scaling for cloud bursts of specific workloads. Plus, you'll be able to monitor and visualize your capacity utilization and cost savings achieved for the month using this feature. There is even more in this article, but this story's running a little long already, so I'll leave it there, but I suggest you check it out for yourself. It looks like there's going to be some big changes in the Citrix stack and maybe their strategy going forward. Maybe a little less cloud heavy in the future and kind of taking a grander, higher view of things and enabling their current on-prem customers to keep that on-prem and live in both worlds, which I think is a good thing. 
Some HP printer customers are reporting that they no longer receive the can't guarantee print quality messages when using non-HP genuine ink, and instead their print jobs are not allowed until a genuine HP ink cartridge is inserted. Some have reported this was caused by a recent update that may only affect certain models, but this is reminiscent of previous complaints that have resulted in class action lawsuits against HP and provided them with plenty of bad publicity. While this is unlikely to affect enterprise customers, if you are a consultant working with small companies or supporting remote workers, and they say they can't print and have a HP printer, this could be the issue. I've actually run into an issue where my wife bought what she thought was genuine HP ink from a third party source, and they guaranteed that it would work. And then when we got it, it would not work. It did not show up as genuine, even though it had HP on the label. Um, so, you know, they might think that they're using HP Genuine Ink, but in reality, uh, you know, they may not. It might be for coming from a third party source. And while this story is about HP, other major printer manufacturers have been doing the same thing in previous years, too. So unfortunately, it's just a bad deal for customers. The Verge has reported that Microsoft will be adding the Control plus Shift plus V shortcut that will paste in plain text to Microsoft Word. Microsoft is currently rolling out to people using the Word beta on both Mac and PC, and you may be familiar with this keyboard shortcut because it works in some other applications already, but it is coming to Word, so that's pretty cool. Master Packager have released version 23.2.8473 and now you can simply right click on the deploy application file in the PSADT package and click on the PSADT to Intune Win to generate a ready to upload Intune Win file to Intune. This feature is exclusively available in the pro version, so if you're using the free version, that feature will not be available. Um, and now the PowerShell Application Deployment Toolkit actions, Master Packager templates, and Master Repackager exclusion list changes by default will be saved in app data slash Master Packager location, and you can overwrite it to your preferred location from the settings file. There's improved app library recipe search results from within Master Packager and more. For a full list, check out Master Packager's announcement. And I'll share that with this episode, which you'll find again at 5bytespodcast.com for episode 273. So I mentioned earlier that I cover some general kind of open AI announcements and Google and Microsoft's AI plays for the week. And that's this segment right now. So OpenAI showed off some of the capabilities of GPT-4 this week, including showing someone drawing a sketch by hand of a website layout and then feeding the sketch into GPT-4 to create the site based on that sketch. It's really remarkable stuff and you should really check out the video and I'll share a link to that with this episode. Uh, but for Google's part, they seem to be caught on the hop with the OpenAI and Microsoft partnership and integrations over the last few weeks. And as reported previously, they showcased their own AI-driven chatbot a few weeks ago to a somewhat mild reaction and questions about accuracy based on what video and sizzle reel they released for their announcement. But earlier this week, they shut off more AI capabilities that are built into various Google products like Sheets, Docs, and Gmail that help to compose emails, auto-populate spreadsheets, and more. And again, this is kind of that sizzle reel type thing. It's not like a live demo or anything but it does seem to have some potential and it's a much slicker presentation than they had a few weeks ago for their initial announcement. And I think it's getting a lot more excitement. 
And back to Microsoft, Microsoft quickly made Bing AI with GPT-4 available to the masses without a waitlist. Well, in actual fact, Microsoft have publicly acknowledged that even when in preview, Bing AI has been using GPT-4 uh, as its engine. So there have been questions like, are, are you using GPT-3, using GPT-4? It appears they have been using GPT-4 this whole time. Uh, but later this week, it is expected that Microsoft will announce chat GPT-like AI within their office suite in applications like Teams, Word, and Outlook. And Microsoft also will add its Bing AI chatbot to a new sidebar in its Microsoft Edge browser earlier in the week. So I believe the sidebar feature has been added as I record this. I can actually see it in my sidebar within Edge. And if you haven't seen that yet on your own Edge browser, maybe it's trickling out. And I'm sure the announcement on the Office integration, which at the time of this recording, which was Wednesday night, had not been made yet. But I'm sure that probably spurred Google to release their little scissor reel video showing their integration within their product suite. So certainly the AI race is heating up and it's hopefully going to be great for customers and the public in general. Although I did see some chatter and some concern around the AI integrating within products like Office and like the Google suite and the fact that it may be gathering data in your emails and stuff like that and actually like actively listening and doing stuff with that data, which certainly is worrying. And, uh, you know, what the search engines have done in the past, like Google search engine, does give some cause for concern with how they will handle this AI chatbots and features. In one of those fun stories, Ars Technica reported that the popular Chuck E. Cheese restaurants in the US are retiring their animatronics, but before they retired in one of their locations, an employee shared the process that they've been using for updating the software just one last time. And it requires a floppy disk and two DVDs. And the floppy disk shown in the video was labeled with 2023 on it. So just kind of showing that they're still using floppy disks in 2023 for updating software. As the computer comes to life in the video, a monitor sitting on top of the rack displays an MS-DOS style text crawl that shows the computer extracting .cec files from a self-extracting file called egreen23.exe that was compressed using the v2.50 shareware version of PKSFX by PKWare, which was copyrighted in 1999. And the CEC file format includes light timing information and instructions that tell the animatronics figures how to move. After that, floppy disk is installed. They insert two DVDs into twin DVD players that contain show video content of the accessory characters that surround Chucky during the show, or Chuck rather. Yeah, you can tell I didn't grow up in America even though I have an American accent, I guess. So it's stated that the animatronics have been in use since 1977, and some are expected to still be in use up until the end of this year. On a previous episode of the podcast, I cover the fact that some in-flight entertainment systems on airplanes still get updated by floppy disks, as do some of the software used on the galleys, you know, the galley that gets brought out to the plane and allows people to kind of enter the plane and get off the plane and just walk through to the terminal. That software that's used uh, by the steering mechanism uh, on those uh, can often be updated and delivered via floppy disk still. So just interesting to see how this 
legacy hardware and technologies still so important in so many different businesses. Winamp is back, baby. <laughs> Not enterprise at all, but I figure most of us working in enterprise IT will have fond memories of the app. Launch of the new Winamp player is going to be on all platforms and it will remain free. They stated that it will have new revenue streams for artists and they hope to have a closer relationship for creators and fans with exclusive content. And every weekend DJ in the country rejoiced. So just a few quick hits to wrap up the news for this week. I'm sorry I ran a bit longer than usual. Uh, but there are just a few places remaining for the face-to-face -face PowerShell workshop in London that will be held on the 24th of March. And Guy asks, where else will you get such personal attention with your PowerShell issues, concerns, scripts, etc. So this is a very unique opportunity to learn PowerShell from one of the best. So definitely seize this opportunity if you're into PowerShell. Also, a last call for the upcoming EUC Masters Retreat that will be held in Scottsdale, Arizona from March 31st to April 2nd. If you are interested in this event and you've been sitting on the fence, now is the time to get off the fence. If you want to be able to go, you have to register now. And it's a really excellent opportunity to also go to the CUGC XL event that will be held on March 30th. So you could get the CUGC XL for free on March 30th and then go to a really great, unique EUC event from March 31st to April 2nd. And if you're there, I'll see you there. Finally, also a last call for E2EVC Berlin, which is also near capacity. So if you'd like to attend that event, you've got to register now to not miss out. That's one I sadly will not be going to, but I hope to go to an E2E again soon in the future. That is also a really awesome event. Well, that's it for this week's news. Now, this episode's scripts, tricks, and tips. Went pretty long in the news this week, so going to keep these scripts, tricks, and tips relatively short this week. Uh, but we had the cloud paging user group last week, and I mentioned it the week before for those who may have wanted to register to attend. Well, if you did not get to attend, we had a really excellent demo by Geo from Numescent, who went through packaging some of the more complex applications. Well, or at least complex using certain different pe packaging technologies. And I found it really useful personally. I picked up some pointers on how to improve my own packaging practices. And the recording is available already to those within the user group. So if you'd like to watch that recording for yourself, uh, you can register for the user group. You'll be sent an invitation to the Slack workspace, which has a meeting-recordings uh, Slack channel uh, that contains all the recordings from the previous cloud paging user group meetups. The awesome Ed Bot had a really timely article on how to choose and use a password manager. So this may be one not just for enterprise IT folks, uh, but those people in your lives who are not maybe tech savvy, a good introduction on why they should be using a password manager, how to pick one and how to use it. The awesome David O'Brien tweeted this week, for Azure MVPs, make sure to check out your third-party MVP benefits for a really great deal on Argos Cloud Security, which is uh, David's company. Uh, they're offering 50% off the first year, which means only $750 to automatically create diagrams that will show you compliance and security issues in your environment in minutes, not days. And finally, the also awesome Patrick Koble 
uh, published a blog on his medium.com blog page, which is his enterprise browser battle version one. And this report compares enterprise browser solutions from three vendors, Citrix, Google, and Talon Cybersecurity. And it goes through various different aspects of browser security and comparing each. Like it's kind of like a feature by feature comparison, but relative to security for those browsers. Uh, if you've seen some of Patrick's previous content around comparing different products, this is similar, but it's enterprise browser focused. And I'll share a link to that as I do for everything that I cover on every single episode of this podcast. You'll find that at fivebytespodcast.com. And I know this episode ran long, but if you appreciate the content in this podcast, I'd really appreciate if you could go out and give the podcast a rating on your podcast platform of choice, because the more ratings, the higher the rating is, the greater the visibility this podcast has. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. And also, happy St. Patrick's Day.